0: Fake, fake, fakety-fake.
1: Hi, I'm Jody.
2: And I'm
0: Vienno.
1: And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about the non-stop fear-mongering about Muslim extremists with my friend Vienno.
2: Oh, great. Wonderful.
1: How are you, Vienna? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm okay. We're doing like an earlier record than usual, and so I actually have coffee with me which is a very, like, weird thing, because I normally stop that pretty early in the day. And it weirdly tastes like marshmallows, and that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up. It's just, like, I don't know why it tastes like this, but it's kind of nice. Yeah, I was gonna
1: say, well, like, it almost sounded like a complaint, but I'm like, tasting like marshmallows, isn't that good? It, <laughs> it's more just, like, baffling. I guess, uh, at least it's a good mystery. It could <laughs> it could have tasted like something even worse, you know? I don't know.
2: Yeah, no, it's it's just, it's worth commenting on, is, I guess, it (laughs) how are you
1: i'm i'm good i'm a little tired uh we had a stream last night that was really good uh we had the good folks from the tuckered out podcast on stream with us was the first time we got it to work with like all three uh three videos or, or webcams going all at once and uh Anyways, it, it worked out pretty nice. We watched some uh, Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro and talked about their podcast, and it was tons of fun. So I highly recommend their podcast. They're, they're awesome uh, folks as well. Uh, Tyler and Troy were were kind and fun to be around. So I recommend go, go check out their podcast. It's wonderful. Tuck it out. They basically do what we do but for Tucker Carlson. So if you like listening to our podcast, I'm sure you will enjoy... Listening to to theirs. Uh, I mean, I was gonna say unless you can't stand Tucker's voice But if you can't stand Tucker's voice, you probably can't stand Ezra's either. So, yeah <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if this helps or not, but
2: no, they were fun. I like them a lot
1: So yeah, uh, and we'll be posting some of those uh, clips to YouTube as well And again, I'll just plug right in the front as well if you want to subscribe to our YouTube that'll help us out a lot It's been doing uh, really well lately in terms of views. And so uh, it would be nice if also we have some subscriptions increasing that because eventually we'll need to reach a certain threshold of subscribers to be able to uh, monetize our channel. Uh, I don't know if monetization is going to work with us because of the content we do, but maybe it will. So uh, it's free to subscribe to our YouTube. It costs nothing for you, but it helps us out out a lot. So if you wouldn't mind... uh, uh, doing that that would be so awesome. We would love it
2: Jody having his old band moments where he explains that it's free to subscribe to somebody on YouTube
1: Listen, Well, I mean, it's not free to subscribe on Twitch. I'm just saying
2: yeah, sure.
1: I'm just saying it's free There's no cost you could just do it. Well, just do it and we would be forever grateful. That's all
2: the future is now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're just gonna go to the imperial Realm if I've
1: had enough of this
0: Hello, my Rebels. Hello, my Rebels. I'm a good boy! I'm a weirdo.
1: This is what happened on The Rebel from July 19th to July 23rd. Derek Sloan was kicked off Twitter, so he is on Ezra's show to talk about it. Ezra brings up why Sloan was kicked out of the Conservative Party,
0: and I think it's pretty much universally accepted that you were thrown out of the party with trumped up charges because you accepted some small donation from an anonymous, from someone who was hiding their real name that no one ever heard of, that the party had like, it was just such a cooked up excuse. They wanted to get rid of you.
1: The donation, of course, was from Paul Frum, who is a known white supremacist and uh, neo-Nazi. Derek Sloan ends by suggesting he will announce a slate of candidates for the next election. But to be clear, this will not be a party, according to him, even though a lot of people in the media seem to think he's talking about forming a new party. But it seems like what he's suggesting is that there will be uh, a slate of candidates, uh, MPs that he believes support the true conservative position, which may include people from both the PPC party and the Conservative party, or even independent politicians like himself. So it's just a slate of candidates that he's like, they're the ones who agree with me, so they're cool. But it's not a party. It's a bit confusing, and it seems to have confused a lot of other people too. Uh, But Ezra is still worried about vote splitting, uh, I guess. Even though it's not a party.
2: For the last few months, Ezra has been heavily critical of police, but he has officially come out against the slogan ACAB.
0: In a way, that's been a subtext of the whole Black Lives Matter narrative that all cops are evil, all cops are racist, all cops are violent, even the black cops, and that one cop who gets it wrong is an indictment of every cop. Antifa makes that one of their slogans, you know. You might see the graffiti ACAB, That stands for the smear, all cops are bastards. That's not true, but that's the denormalization of police by the left.
2: Even though he doesn't adopt that slogan, he still hates the RCMP, and he plays a clip of an RCMP agent happy with Bill C-36, the new anti-online hate legislation. Ezra is adamant that we have free speech in Canada, which is only partially true, since even though free speech is in the Charter, the Supreme Court has already ruled certain kinds of speech can be limited. Ezra jumps from the RCMP to talk about the FBI, suggesting that the FBI entrapped the Michigan militia members who were arrested for a plot to kidnap Michigan's governor. But
0: look at this news out of Michigan. Here's a story from October. Remember that story a few months back? About how right-wingers were planning to capture and kidnap the governor of Michigan who just happened to be Democrat huge story dropped right before the election boy did the media love that story right wingers trump guys planning to kidnap an outspoken critic of trump oh and the timing less than a month before the election message received but look now it's almost a year later so the truth comes out now and that bell can't be unrung the election happened that plot to kidnap the democratic governor It was almost completely FBI undercover agents and informants. Don't take that from me. I'm a conservative in Canada. What do I know? Take it from a liberal American news site called BuzzFeed.
2: Although it is true the FBI hasn't trapped people before, especially Muslims, this case is not so simple. In this case, the FBI recruited a man who was worried about the militia after he was asked by the leader to join it the FBI encouraged this man to be an informant after the leader then went on to discuss his plans to kidnap the governor. In other words, the FBI did not create the plot, which would make an entrapment. Ezra then uses this as a jumping off point to say that the FBI set up Michael Flynn and spied on the Trump campaign, both of which are not true.
0: Imagine the effort here, the millions of dollars, the thousands of hours, the number of staff, why? I put it to you, it was a political stunt to prove the threat of right-wingers, domestic violence extremists on the right. That's America these days. That's the disgraced FBI. The same people who set up General Michael Flynn, filed false, false affidavits against Donald Trump to spy on him. James Comey the liar. The FBI setting up crimes for a political payoff for their left-wing masters.
2: Flynn pled guilty to lying to the FBI prior to accepting a pardon from Trump. And the FBI was legally wiretapping Carter Page well before he joined Trump's campaign team. Fuck the FBI though, still. Like, just to be clear, a cap.
1: I mean, fuck the FBI, but let's let's you know criticize them appropriately. Yeah. Not make up shit. Exactly. <laughs> Ezra says he is turning Rebel News into an official business. Huh. Which, I, I, what was it before? Like a. <laughs> And so he's hiring new staff for the business and of their company, including people to like organize parties or conferences. Uh, Very weird.
0: Let me list for you four or five positions that we have put on our careers page today. The first one I think by far is the funnest one. It's our events coordinator.
1: They are also hiring people for the democracy fund, which is their not for profit. Uh, making the fight the fines campaign tax deductible so the reason why they have this charity organization is so they can give people tax deductions for donating to their fight the fines campaign which is paying for people to break the law so that's fun Ezra also makes an appeal to the audience to donate because uh, to rebel news generally because they broke their TriCaster which apparently cost rebel $38,000 which I have to say is a lot of money for their crappy green screen setup that they use to produce their videos.
2: That's what cost them thirty-eight thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, the trike, the thing that made them have the uh, the desk that is
2: uh, <laughs> really badly photoshopped floating yeah. in front
1: of me. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that cost thirty-eight thousand dollars. I feel like we have better production value for zero dollars.
2: You could probably buy that shit for like thirty bucks on Amazon. Who who are they buying it from? Like,
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, I honestly feel like what this is, is a holdover from him working in media back in the day. So he probably is used to a certain setup that they used on Sun Media, which requires like some fancy cable news technology. Ugh. That's what I think is happening.
2: Here. Gross. Andrew Lawton criticizes business owners who are demanding the government implement a province or nationwide vaccine mandate for being able to shop or eat at restaurants. Andrew says they have the freedom to choose to implement their own policy and then suffer the consequences of their own decisions, and refers to a restaurant and gym that were harassed and then dropped restrictions. But that is the reason why these businesses want national mandates, so they don't become the targets of harassment by anti-vaccine activists.
1: And that is the week! There's two main stories that I want to cover this week. One has more to do with like vaccine denial stuff. And I just want to touch on it because, you know, he, I mean, there's a bit of a redundancy in that like anti-mask, anti-lockdown, anti-vaccine shit is so commonplace on a show that it's like, I'll just be repeating myself. But he says a few new things here that I think are worth uh, looking into in terms of the efficacy of vaccines. And so we'll go through that. The second story has to do with the National Council of Canadian Muslims had their uh, is Islamophobia summit, basically, which I don't know too much of the details about it. I think what it was was just them producing a sort of like list of recommendations to the government. And then the next step is whether or not the government's actually going to act on some of those uh, recommendations. And so Ezra is going to react to the recommendations, I guess. And that's how we'll end it. But first, we'll start with the vaccine denial stuff. Ezra refers to a study published in a journal for the American Academy of Family Physicians. And the title of that article is called Four Reasons for COVID-19 Vaccine Hesitancy.
0: Here's the website of the American Academy of Family Physicians, about as mainstream as you get. And look at this study in their journal, published just a couple months ago. Four reasons for COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy among healthcare workers and ways to counter them.
1: The the thing that first annoys me is he calls this a study, even though it's a blog post. <laughs> <coughs> <laughs> and uh, so it's like most journals nowadays, they also have kind of like an editorial thing. So that's it's kind of what this is. So it's not even really like an article and it's just like casually telling people like, Hey, there's this vaccine hesitancy thing. Here's the four, four common reasons, basically. But Ezra concludes from this title alone that people in the healthcare industry don't want these vaccines.
0: Isn't that a funny little story? People in the healthcare business, people closest to the pandemic in real life, they don't want the vaccines. They cite lots of stats in this journal entry from different countries showing that this is true. Isn't that odd? That would be like a, a waiter refusing to eat at their own restaurant. I just keep thinking of that analogy. Seems strange to me.
1: You know, if a waiter's not eating their own food, then that must mean there's something wrong with the restaurant, right? So if healthcare people are not taking vaccines, if they're not taking vaccines, because that's not clear based on the title, then like, that should, doesn't that tell you that there's something weird going on?
2: Sorry, but isn't this just about vaccine hesitancy in general? Or is it about specifically for healthcare workers?
1: So it is about vaccine hesitancy in general, but it's also focused on healthcare workers. So it's like a double focus. But like the thing is, Ezra doesn't explain it. He just says that there's this study, lists the title, and then goes on about healthcare workers not wanting to get vaccinated. <laughs> <sighs> but, but, but I mean, part of this blog mentions the, uh, some Facts about healthcare workers, which mm-hmm. we'll, we'll get to in a second.
2: Okay.
1: He also fails to acknowledge that this blog uh, referenced studies which included all staff in the healthcare industry. So, like, part of like the, the first thing that's wrong about him stating this about healthcare workers is the implication there is that, you know, physicians or medical doctors are refusing to get vaccinated, right? Or are at least vaccine hesitant. But this study that he's referring to that is within this blog post includes lab technicians, janitors, people who handle hospital waste. (laughs) So it's just everyone who works in a healthcare setting. It's not doctors.
2: Yeah, it's not necessarily like frontline staff or patient-facing staff.
1: I mean, even then... Like the fact that we've already talked on the show before that even if a doctor is vaccine hesitant because of their own biases and conspiracy thinking, because doctors are human beings and prone to similar thinking as other people. Yeah. uh, So even referring to just doctors isn't sufficient. But it's like his argument using the restaurant analogy doesn't apply here because it's not like someone who's removing hospital waste material <laughs> is someone who's trained in whether or not vaccines are effective or not, right?
2: I mean, unless you're like a virologist or like working on vaccine production, even then you're probably not. Yeah. <laughs> like right. Just because you went to medical school doesn't mean that you know the ins and outs of vaccine development.
1: I mean, hopefully they're reading up on it right now. We are... <laughs> a global pandemic you would hope uh our, uh you know general practitioners are at least reading up on this stuff now
2: yeah but even then like that's not that doesn't make them experts you know it, it's just it's not the same as like it doesn't the analogy with the restaurant worker type of thing doesn't work because if they're not working in where vaccines are produced then they don't know if somebody spit in the food <laughs> like
1: i mean there's also the thing where it's like you can tell as a waiter, that a restaurant is unsanitary, like, mm-hmm. that, like say if you see rats scurrying back <laughs> and they don't have like proper uh, pest disposal and stuff like this, you could be qualified as a waiter to make that assessment about the safety of restaurant food, right? Yeah. But like, again, that's not the same as like a healthcare worker uh, injecting people with a vaccine. You need large scale randomized controlled trials to make those kind of conclusions
2: imagine if restaurants had to do that with the food (laughs) although i guess like you know test markets and stuff like that is kind of similar where it's just like yeah hmm we have to use these people as test subjects to see if the food tastes good or not
1: well i think part of it is a a largely intuitive too like how many rats before it really becomes concerning (laughs) Maybe you could do a randomized controlled like trial on that. But most people are just like, how about uh, no rats, you know? <laughs>
2: These damn liberals, they don't want rats in their restaurants. <laughs> Next thing you know, they'll be saying they don't want cockroaches either.
1: <laughs> Ezra also doesn't mention that even though healthcare workers are not at 100% vaccine uptake, I mean, nobody is at 100% vaccine uptake, their numbers are still really close to the general population, if not higher, with uh, depending on the country, healthcare workers are around 70 to 80 percent wanting or have received the vaccine. As are claims, there is a study from Harvard showing that 37 percent of nursing home staff got the vaccine. But as far as I can tell, this was a CDC study, not a Harvard study. I mean, I tried looking; I couldn't find one from Harvard. Maybe these uh, people worked at Harvard. I'm not sure. But it was a CDC study back from January, and these were this was when vaccines were first starting to roll out. However, now, several months away from January, <laughs> most states are now well above the 30, 37 percent for their healthcare or uh, nursing home staff. Which it's like, so it's like, if you put out the stats and you go 30, only 37% have gotten vaccinated and you're like, Ooh, that's bad. But now we're well above that <laughs> currently, like maybe that stat is not a good stat. You know?
2: I think there is kind of an issue in like using nursing home staff as the example also, just because like, I guess I don't know 100% in the United States what it's like, but here it's. So completely unregulated and so completely just like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we will take fucking anybody off the street, like, please. And then, yeah, sure, you know, oh, you're going to lock that person in their room and let them, you know, dehydrate to death? Sure, whatever, like, that's not our issue. We're getting money from, like, those people's, you know, families that don't want to deal with them anymore. So, like, using them when, like, there is a, like at least continent-wide scandal on how shitty nursing home staff have been to the people that they are supposed to be taking care of is kind of like a bad benchmark, I guess, because they're already so much shittier.
1: Because he's implying they have some sort of expertise here. Yeah. Not only like what you're exhibiting is not only do they not have the expertise, but also it's like there's many cases in which they've been shitty. Now, like, I don't want to say that about all nursing home staff, obviously, but like, especially in America, like a lot of these companies in, uh, well, I mean, even here, too. So let's be real. Uh, yeah. A lot of nursing homes, it, it has more to do with the private enterprise fact of where they cut corners. And a lot of the staff end up complaining and trying to unionize because they feel bad about what they're doing to the people under their care. So, like, I don't, I don't want to belittle all nursing home staff. It, it's just, it's a, it's a product of the system. Uh, yeah. That being said, I mean, now, if you look at data, especially in America, because this study specifically focuses on America, almost every single state is above 70% nursing home staff vaccinated. The only state, the lowest states are, of course, Republican states in the southern U.S. So you get, like, your... Uh, your Mississippi, your Louisiana. But either way, those, those southern states are around the 40% range. Uh, so that could, that could be a lot higher. It probably needs to be a lot higher. But at least for most of the rest of the United States, their nursing home staff are around 70% vaccinated. So Ezra then fearmongers about breakthrough infections, which happen, mm-hmm. And he suggests that it's confusing that people who have gotten two vaccines can still be infected. And he brings up uh, so i don't know if you've been following this story but a bunch of texas politicians fled the texas state to prevent a a vote to prevent a vote on a voting restriction bill and so they fled to washington to then petition congress people and the senate to pass voting legislation and a few of those people had breakthrough infections
0: look at this i don't know if you saw this news a bunch of texas democrats who all had two jabs, flew on a private jet to Washington as some sort of political protest. Now it turns out that some of them got sick too with coronavirus again. None of them are getting very sick, but it does sort of raise the question, do do these vaccines work?
1: I mean, it should be obvious to everyone now, but like breakthrough infections uh, are rare, but they do happen. No vaccine is 100% perfect. Sometimes uh, some people don't have a proper antibody reaction. It could be because for whatever reason, whatever vaccine they got didn't contain enough of this stuff in each thing, even though they're supposed to, but like accidents happen. Like the thing is like nothing is 100% perfect. So some people are going to get infected even though they got vaccinated. That's how this works. I mean, well, it's also the case. I, I will say this as well, that as fewer and fewer people or more and more people actually get vaccinated, the infection rates, uh, uh, the overall infection rates will continue to decrease, but the overall percentage of people who are vaccinated that get infected will increase because that's the only place the virus can go is people who had uh, poor vaccines or just didn't have an antibody response to the vaccine.
2: Well, and the issue is that, like, regardless of breakthrough infections, like they are kind of like across the board a lot milder in comparison to unvaccinated people because that's also part of the point of vaccines is that even if your body doesn't have enough of an immune response to completely like stop infection it'll be such a mild infection that you might not notice that you had it or that like you'll have very mild symptoms when otherwise you might had you might have had like Severe, like hospitalizing or death, you know, symptoms. (laughs) Like,
1: yeah, I mean, that's why you're finding like even in the UK right now when cases are starting to skyrocket again, actually, I think they're coming back down, but they were peaking again. Uh, But deaths remain quite low because even though people are getting infected, they're not dying from this because of the vaccines. mm -hmm. So even though you get the breakthrough infections, at least we're preventing people from dying, which is the whole point, right?
2: Yeah, and like the other thing is that the longer it goes on with out the world and everybody being vaccinated, there are going to be reservoir- reservoirs for the virus to mutate and then, like, kind of skip past vaccinations based on earlier variants. Like, it's the flu, basically, right? Like, he has made—Ezra has made that argument before as well, where it's like, oh, like— It's basically just like a pretty rough flu or whatever. And it's like, yeah, okay, so you get a flu shot and you have to update it based on what variants are most dominant because sometimes it mutates. Like, although I doubt Ezra or his listeners get the flu shot anyways. No. No.
1: Well, I I think they don't understand any of this science whatsoever. I mean, like, this is also why it's important to have herd immunity, which is why it's like even you look where people stopped uh, having a high rate of measles vaccines. And all of a sudden they're getting breakthrough infections in their community. And and part of that is because you created a reservoir for the, the virus to spread. But it's also like the reason why you need to reach herd immunity which is usually around 90 to 80 percent vaccination depending on what the virus is is because not every vaccine is effective and it's also because not everyone can get a vaccine there's the immunocompromised or people who are allergic and stuff like this right so the reason why you want herd immunity is so that there is no reservoir and so it protects even the people who uh forever for whatever reason their vaccines were not effective i mean the other thing too is like it In terms of the long-term covid thing that's happening where people are showing gray matter decay at uh, rates that are concerning even though they survive covid they'll have long-term injuries that seems there's some evidence right now that seems to suggest that those are mitigated as well by vaccination so just get vaccinated is like i guess the message here you know like all this fear-mongering for nothing like just because people have a breakthrough infection does not mean that vaccines don't work Ezra then says that uh, Mayor John Tory, who, like, again, we don't really like him either, but Ezra says that he's lying for saying that vaccines are completely safe.
0: I'm not sure who to trust. Here's Toronto's creepy mayor saying the vaccines are completely safe and effective. But um, that's not actually what the companies themselves say, and it's not what the FDA says. These drugs are not approved. They're just authorized for emergency use, and there are all sorts of publicly known side effects Why is he lying here?
1: I can maybe agree that quibbling, like, what do you mean by completely safe? Because, like, of course, Ezra mentions uh, uh, the side effects part of it. Although, like, the thing that Ezra also adds on to it is uh, that these were put through through emergency use, so we still don't know whether or not they're completely safe, right? Uh, even, (laughs) Even though, like, the funny thing is I wonder how long this talking point is going to last because coming soon they will be off emergency use and be fully fda approved we're coming near that time and then they're they're probably going to be like oh well the fda is just approving it now because they we've been calling out their emergency use thing and they're just doing it to like lie and manipulate us right
2: yeah it'll be oh, those radical bidenists uh (laughs) yeah. <laughs> Force the FDA to approve it on threat of execution or whatever other bullshit.
1: Exactly. Yeah, you know, like you can never win. You can keep this like going on perpetually. Ezra then says that the reason why healthcare workers won't get vaccinated is distrust in government, and he refers to the blog post
0: earlier. But back to that AAFP study, the family of physicians, nurses won't take the vaccine for four reasons they say: safety and efficacy concerns, preference for physiological immunity as in our own body's natural defenses. And this next one, distrust in government and health organizations. That's quite something. We all distrust and hate the government, but I think you probably have to work for a big health organization to really realize it's a kind of government too.
1: But what the blog post actually says is that people distrust government health officials because of propagandistic media outlets spreading misinformation that even healthcare workers consume. So in other words, and Ezra never mentions that, but literally the blog post blames people like Ezra for why healthcare workers are not getting vaccinated.
2: How did he complete law school with this bad of reading comprehension?
1: Well, it's because he wants to push a narrative, right? I know. He wants to tell his audience that, like, government bad. He clearly read this, which is why it's disingenuous. You could, like... The fact that he hides this part of the article that he read in order to just highlight that people hate the government. Because here's the thing is the next reason is that uh, people lack trust uh, because of Trump moving too fast, specifically in calling the vaccine program Operation Warp Speed, that people felt that that was like implied they rushed it through and therefore it wasn't safe. And Ezra doesn't even mention that because that cuts against his narrative that Trump was good government, right? So that's why he's just going to say, oh, what this blog post says is that it's distrust in the government. And then he'll go on talking about Trudeau and how these people suck. Meanwhile, what the article actually says is the distrust of government comes from people like Ezra and the fact that Trump was a complete fucking idiot.
2: I just like, I don't get how you can like, read something and be like, hmm, gotta find a way to lie about this, like, and then just do it yeah. with a straight face. It's just such a confusing, like, mentality to have.
1: It's also sad because it's an it's an acknowledgement that his readers aren't going to do what I did and go and find the blog post and read it.
2: I don't know. I think that that's kind of, like, most people who are, like, watching something that they trust don't go and, like, actually follow up on whatever that person's talking about because you know you're watching somebody that you're like okay yeah this person generally has like opinions that i agree with or whatever so they must be correct and you know for the most part most people don't really have time to follow up on every single thing that they hear and do their own research so you kind of like are reliant on people that you trust with that information and it's just like i don't know that like people will just like be like hmm these people, trust me, I'm just gonna, like, make some shit up, and just, like, I don't think it would be as much of an issue if it were, like, actually just making shit up, or, like, finding stuff from sources that actually agree with him, but then, like, finding sources that actively disagree with him, and then just, like, lying about what they say is just another level of, like, how? Why? How do you look yourself in the mirror after doing this?
1: I was going to say, like, I'm very sympathetic to uh, the people to a certain extent, because what you put out there is right. Like, a lot of people, you know, I I don't have, like, when I'm casually listening to certain other material, like, I'm not looking up all the sources there either, right? Like, this is just a normal thing that humans do. But there's an extent here which Ezra is taking advantage of that fact in a pretty, like, nefarious way. Like, you would hope at least that, I mean... I think a lot of the sources that I do trust, or the reason why I trust them, is maybe because, like, I've gone through and checked some of their stuff and know that they're not lying on other things. But, like, it's sad that we know that Ezra does this all the time. And it really is a kind of, like, taking advantage of his audience, knowing that they're good people or just uh, good casual listeners and aren't going to be critical and look up the articles, you know? And he can sort of, like, take, take advantage of that human behavior uh, in his audience.
2: Yeah. It's sad.
1: Ezra then creates 10, well he says 10 questions, but like there's way more than 10 questions out of this. We'll get to that in a second. But he's got t- 10 questions. He wants his uh, quote unquote reporters to ask people on the streets when they're doing Streeter interviews. So Streeter interviews is where they just pick up random people on the street and ask them questions. They do this a lot on uh, their YouTube channel. So these these are the questions that he wants his uh, reporters
0: to ask. The first one's pretty basic in terms of questions. I got 10 of these do you think people should have to prove they're vaccinated before they're allowed to do things in society
1: which is very broad but like you could see he's trying to get at this whole notion of a vaccine passport thing
0: number two if the answer is yes let's see what that means should proof of vaccination be needed to ride a bus go into a store eat at a restaurant, go to school, go to work, travel, rent an apartment.
1: I think this was still just question number two, but we got a lot of questions in there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And part of me goes like, some of these things are not like the others, you know? And like, there's also like constraints. Like, how do you determine whether or not someone is vaccinated to get on a bus? Like, should we have like cards or like...
2: It's half of a stupid framing, half of a like, yeah, like... Issues of identification control are, in fact, bad. You're right, Ezra. You got it. I hope you're against, you know, voter ID laws and, like, all those kinds of things, (laughs) too. Like, anything that impedes people from existing in public is a bad thing. Like, I hope you're against, you know, Islamophobia and transphobia and homophobia and racism and all of these other things as well. Like, you know, like, we have seen identification used for purposes of denying people's ability to exist in public and on some level like yeah i get that this is a like actually genuine concern because it also doesn't bring up people who are like immunocompromised and can't get vaccinated but also like immunization records at school aren't really like a bad thing and also like generally schools have access to your health records because they are often like relevant or you know access to parts of your health records same with your job like you kind of want to let them know if you have major health issues
1: i mean the thing with the school thing too is silly because like he also likes to constantly bring up like are you going to exclude people as well who like can't get a vaccine or whatever but it's like at school like there's tons of exemptions yeah for people who are allergic like the the government is able to manage a system like that it's a pretty easy system to manage. Like, I don't know why he thinks it's so so complicated. We already do it. But like, you notice as well that he always like brings up renting an apartment. And I think part of that is like, because he wants to ramp up the fear to be like, uh, eventually the you'll have to have a vaccine in order to have a home or a place to live. But it's like, we mentioned this the last time he brought this up as well, which is that like landlords already find ways to discriminate against people, which is why, you know, we do have homelessness issues involving people not willing to rent with people due to financial things. Or like, you know, there's ways we discriminate against people from having a home already. But Ezra's not mad about those. He, he's just mad if like a, a landlord won't let you rent if you don't have a vaccine. But who's, who's ever like supported that position? Like if it's a house and you're not near anyone, that's socially distant. No one's going to care about that. But he's using it as like a fear-mongering tool. Like the bus, the school, a restaurant, possibly depending on what the job is, those all might be things where yeah, vaccines might be necessary. Yeah. But renting? Why would that be an issue?
2: I mean, I get that this is I guess that this is why I I hate like that we've kind of accepted the right wings use of vaccine passport rather than just immunization records because immunization records has a very clear meaning and also like is applied to public health kind of as is like everywhere whereas like vaccine passports do have a kind of like understood meaning of control because that's how passports function is like it impedes your ability to freely move about the world that we all share I don't know it's just like yeah we've kind of like the the media and kind of like everybody else have kind of like bought into the right wing's rhetoric just by accepting the term vaccine passport as like something that is neutral or even good
1: yeah no I agree with that I mean part of it is hard because we're we're addressing them on our show so yeah like the, <laughs> the word's just in my head but like I never talk about a vaccine passport uh, off of the show <laughs> Yeah. But yes.
0: What should people who are excluded do?
1: And I would say go get vaccinated. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Should we publicly shame people who aren't vaccinated?
1: And part of me is like, it depends on what the shame is. So it's like, if it's me on the podcast going get vaccinated, then yeah, publicly shame them.
0: What if people can't take vaccines for a medical or another good reason?
1: Again, that's not an issue. Uh, We mentioned it two seconds ago.
0: Should people who have already recovered from COVID and who have a natural immunity should they be forced to take vaccines, too, just to get the passport? <sighs>
1: Ignoring the vaccine passport aspect of it, acquired immunity does not give you as much as a robust immunity as a vaccine does. So yes, get your vaccine. Then we get into the, like the weird section, even weirder than what we've already gotten. So seven is-
0: Are there other diseases we should also grill people about? Like, I don't know, AIDS.
1: For one, I'm like, grill people? Like, who's grilling people? No one's grilling people over, like, having the disease.
2: I mean, and again, like, the issue is a context of how the disease spreads. You can't spread AIDS by just being on a public bus with someone. <laughs> unless some, like, horrific accident happens and both of you manage to survive or something. Like,
1: this feeds into the next question. Because, yeah. like, he goes, if not, what's the difference?
0: If not, what's the difference? How about people who are alcoholics or really fat? Should we shame them too? Ban them from things?
1: And it's like, why would we, like, ignoring the fact that like he's being fat phobic and all this shit, like, why would we ban people who are overweight from doing things? (laughs) What's the justification for that? Yeah. Like COVID is an infectious pathogen. Being obese is not infectious. You're not gonna spread it to people.
2: I walk downtown past an alcoholic and smell his breath, yeah. and then boom, <laughs> I got a drink. Like, yeah, what? <laughs> I mean,
1: like, I just, I, It's like he's got, he he hit on this notion of like social shaming and just went for it. But it's like, yeah, you shouldn't shame alcoholics, you should probably get them help. You, you shouldn't shame people who are overweight, uh, largely because you probably don't know what's going on with them health-wise, and many people who are overweight are still healthy. Like, you shouldn't shame people for how they look. What does this have to do with getting COVID? Yeah. We're getting a vaccine for COVID? Or <laughs> shaming people for not getting vaccinated with a relatively safe vaccine that will lower the rate of infections in your country.
0: <sighs> if vaccines work, why are you worried about non-vaccinated people? And if they don't work, same question.
1: But again, this is just this like, idea that, well, if you're vaccinated, why do you care if I'm vaccinated? But again, if you're having breakthrough infections, which he just fucking talked about, then that's a good reason why everyone should get vaccinated and why vaccine people should worry about unvaccinated people.
2: Also, most of the world hasn't been vaccinated yet.
1: Yeah, but the other world doesn't exist uh, for Ezra. Yeah. (laughs) And again, this is question 11, I guess, even though this was supposed to be 10 questions.
0: And lastly, COVID isn't even in the top 10 list of reasons why people die in Canada in any given day. Heart attacks, strokes, cancer, and those are all much more deadly and all of them are connected in part to our health choices, diet, exercise, should we have the ability to grill people about those private things too?
1: We should just be shaming people for random diseases?
2: Somebody's heart beats next to beats in their chest when they're next to me and boom I have heart disease.
1: It's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing that he can be this ignorant about disease and vaccinations. And the th- I want to know We've mentioned this several times on the show, but back in April 2020, he understood infectious diseases and was very explicit on his show about uh, uh, how infection occurs and aerosolization and asymptomatic spread. He was all on that shit back in April 2020 before he shifted to the whole, all of this is bullshit, anti-masks, anti-lockdown, anti-vaccine shit. So he knows better and he's being purposefully ignorant to the detriment of our society because this is going to kill people i just have to say it. he's he's advocating not to get vaccinated or at least putting enough doubt in people's minds such that they don't want to get vaccinated and they're going to be the ones spreading the de- disease to each other Woohoo. He then, I guess he has novaxpassports.ca, which he wants to be his biggest petition ever. So he wants to make a shit ton of money by soliciting people's emails. And he's saying he wants over 200,000 signatures on this petition. He wants it as the biggest, best petition ever. And then they want to fight the biggest legal case to fight the vaccine passports, apparently.
2: The vaccine passports don't exist. You're fighting against a fear that you've created in your brain like
1: <laughs> we talked about this offline but it was funny that like we've largely opened up in our province but across this country we had uh anti-lockdown marches uh over the weekend and it was like why why like things are opening up why are we marching to to open up m- more like <laughs> don't understand yeah so that's that that's the vaccine denial stuff he he ends that but i think it's important like he's I mean, it didn't, he wasn't this vaccine denial since we started doing this show. But over the last few months, it's definitely, especially when he got uh, kicked off PayPal and off of YouTube, or they got demonetized off YouTube, he's definitely gone further down the anti vax uh, rabbit hole. So we now get to the Islamophobia Summit. This begins weird because, so for those who don't know, uh, this. This was motivated by the fact that uh, an asshole murdered a family, a Muslim family in our city of London. And the community advocated that we have this uh, summit on Islamophobia to basically change the legal structure in our country to protect Muslims and and to sort of like uh, decrease the extent to which bigoted propaganda gets to spread online is is kind of sort of like some of the thrusts uh, that were supposed to come out of the summit Mm -hmm. this summit occurred uh 10 days ago from when we're recording and ezra i mean he it recorded it the summit happened before he did uh his show as well but he's just responding to sort of like the, the sort of recommendations that they provide
2: specifically like at least what we have here are his responses to one specific organization's recommendations and it's right. just the nccm the national council of canadian muslims um when there were like a bunch of orgs at the event and there were also just like even non-muslim orgs that Recommended things that were sponsored or you know supported by a bunch of different Muslim organizations,
1: and so all the recommendations come from the NCCM's release, I guess. Mm -hmm. Now, Ezra begins by playing a clip of uh, Justin Trudeau and suggesting that Trudeau will implement the most radical pro-Islam agenda in a non-Muslim country. That's how he starts the segment. So you can already tell that he's being, uh, let's just say, uh, super Islamophobic, which is, again, we've, we we have stated this when he covered what happened in London, Ontario, that he is one of the biggest purveyors of uh, Islamophobic violence, and he's against things like Bill C-36, in part because he's probably worried they're going to come after him, partly because there has been several extremists white supremacist extremists particularly that have carried out acts of violence in our country that have watched uh, material that has been released by rebels such as people like Gavin McGuinness or Tommy Robinson who uh, were both rebel employees at the time when these people carried out these acts of violence. Mm-hmm. Ezra wants to stipulate though that he's not he's not discriminating against Muslims because he's just being critical of Islam.
0: This is going to be interesting because there's a difference between being critical of Islam, the religion, and being critical of Muslims, discriminating against ordinary Muslims, and I think it's a very important distinction. Islam, the religion, the philosophy, political Islam, these are all ideas, and of course, every idea ought to be able to be criticized, at least in a free country. And the problem with Islamophobia, the word as it's become implemented in politics, is that it scoops up any opposition to Islam's expression, either religiously or politically or even through political violence. And it calls that anti-Islam hatred on par with hating an individual, discriminating against an individual. I'm worried about this anti-Islamophobia summit for that very reason.
1: I will say that is kind of like the bigots go to response to any of this is like, I'm not discriminating. I'm just being critical when it's like, no, you're you're being bigoted. Uh, it's it's not just critical because there's nothing critical in what you're saying. You're just sort of like casting with a wide generalization or extrapolating from these very moderate and reasonable recommendations that uh, terrorism is happening. Or it's creating the most radical pro-Islam agenda based on these recommendations.
2: Yeah. And again, recommendations, not pass into law. Not like...
1: (laughs) Oh, oh, well, see, Ezra has a theory about that too.
2: (laughs) Of course he does.
1: So first, Ezra thinks the upcoming summit on Islamophobia is going to reinstitute blasphemy laws...
0: I don't support discriminating against people or picking on people, let alone violence on people based on religion. I certainly don't oppose that. But I'm worried that this will actually become a backdoor to re-implementing a blasphemy law in Canada and not just for attacks on, oh let's say, the Danish cartoons of Mohammed where I was hauled before a Human Rights Commission a dozen years ago.
1: And then Ezra claims that the NCCM is linked to the Muslim Brotherhood, which he wants to say is a terrorist organization.
0: And on the eve of that summit, a group called the NCCM, the National Council of Canadian Muslims, has released nearly 100 pages of recommendations for all levels of government and indeed much of non-governmental society that would transform Canada into an anti-Islamophobia state giving it more political and police tools than even a country like, oh, say, Pakistan would to hunt down anything judged to be critical of Islam. That's my worry. The group NCCM formerly was called CARECAN, the Canadian uh, branch of CARE, Council of American Islamic Relations, a group that a U.S. judge once said was linked to the Muslim
2: Brotherhood.
1: Although I could find no evidence that the NCCM is linked to the Muslim Brotherhood at all, but it wouldn't matter even if they were, in my opinion.
2: Is the Muslim Brotherhood a terrorist organization?
1: I don't think so, but Ezra thinks so.
2: (laughs) Okay. Sure.
1: Or at least his, his theory is that... From what I understood by what he said on the show was that the NCCM is linked to some sort of charity organization and that charity organization is linked to the Muslim Brotherhood and the Muslim Brotherhood funds other terrorist organizations. So I don't know if he's saying the Muslim Brotherhood is themselves terrorists, but they fund terrorist organizations. And since the NCCM, by donating to this one group that donates to them, which then donates to terrorism, makes the NCCM terrorist-friendly, I think is his argument.
2: Fuck off. Like...
1: No, again, like he's a bigot. Like, yeah. let's just be fucking real here. Like, if there's, <laughs> we've made this very clear. He wants to say that he's just being critical of Islam, but that's like eight degrees of separation from a terrorist, therefore, everyone is essentially a terrorist. Like, it's ridiculous.
2: Dumbass
1: so this is why ezra doesn't think that they're just recommendations okay so he plays a clip of trudeau well first he describes the clip before he even plays it by saying that trudeau has already agreed to move forward on the list of things that the nccm wants and he plays the clip but it's very clear that trudeau says they are going to move forward with the talks which is not saying he's going to implement these recommendations
0: Justin Trudeau was asked about these policy recommendations by the NCCM. He was asked if he would adopt them. I'm not sure if he's actually read them, but he said he will move forward on them. Here's what he said today. There is
1: much we need to do, and I know the National Council of Muslim Canadians have put forward uh, a uh, list of recommendations that we're going to be talking about later this week and we're going to move forward
0: on.
2: If Justin Trudeau wants to be Prime Minister for life, he can convert to Islam. <laughs> I I genuinely think I would vote for him if he voted if he converted to he Islam. If he converted to? No. Like, it would be so funny though.
1: <laughs> it would be funny, but it would like to be oh. it would also give in to all the conspiracy theories <laughs> that all these people have about him, that he's already Muslim. Exactly. Like, like- yeah. No, it, it would be hilarious, but at the same time, oh. like, he's still a liberal. It's, like <laughs> it's just, it's one of these things, again, where it's like, you didn't have to play this, Ezra. Right? You didn't have to play the clip that proves that you're wrong. Like, you could have just not done that. So now we get, we're going to read through the recommendations.
0: I want to take you through some of the most dangerous ideas in the NCCM's policy book to show you how radical they are to show you what anti-Islamophobia means today and to show you what Trudeau has said he supports. I'm just going to pull about a dozen of them at random. They want the government to, quote, commit to introducing a social media regulator with a special focus on ensuring that civil liberties are protected. (laughs) What? Either you're regulating social media or you're protecting civil liberties. You can't do both.
1: <laughs> the best part is he's had whatever he like himself just shut up. has advocated no. re- regulating uh, social media he's done this over and over again on a show he had his guest alex marlowe basically saying that we need to regulate uh social media like alan bakari like tons of his guests have advocated uh regulating social media like it's So is he saying, like, I mean, I obviously agree that Ezra is not protecting civil liberties, but like his argument here is he's just admitting himself that he doesn't protect civil liberties because he wants to regulate social media. It's just so stupid.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: The NCCM demands an investigation into whether national security agencies have unduly deprioritized the study of white supremacist groups. Specifically, such a study could point towards disparities in resources and funding having been put towards surveilling indigenous, black, and Muslim communities in contrast to white supremacist groups in Canada.
1: Makes sense, right? And in part because one of these groups is worse than the others. So for investing all of our resources, looking at the one group when the white supremacists are doing more of the damage, that's a bit of a concern, right? And Ezra's
0: response to this is, There's a bit of a theme in the NCCM document. What they like is censorship of critical views, and what they hate are all the instruments of the state that guard against terrorism. It's quite something.
2: The recommendations of uh, the International Civil Liberties Monitoring Group actually addresses like the terrorism issue pretty well, I think, in that... One, it calls for uh, protected legislation for whistleblowers employed in all agencies exercised by, uh, exercising national security functions, including CSIS. And uh, audit all counterterrorism and counter-extremism training manuals for Islamophobic framings and content. Commit to not using or expanding rights-violating anti-terrorism laws that have been used to racially and religiously profile Muslims in Canada instead of entrenching such laws by applying them against white supremacist and Islamophobic actors. The serious concerns raised repeatedly by civil liberties human rights and anti-racism organizations regarding Canada's national security framework must be addressed so it's like explicitly saying like no don't expand the war on terror just to target white supremacists and uh, this is just to say and then like the NCCM's recommendation here is basically saying like yeah you know we need to make sure that we're not just targeting Muslim groups or like making sure that, like, they haven't just, like, swept white supremacy under the rug type of thing.
1: I mean, as much as, like, yes, like, let's abolish the security state, if we have a security state, it's better that it's actually going after the bigger problem, I <laughs> guess, you know what I mean? Like, which is why it's like, again, I don't think that these recommendations necessarily go far enough, uh, or or at least go in directions where I wouldn't necessarily agree but in their own terms, like, these are pretty reasonable recommendations. But then, like, Ezra's response to this, like, how does this make our country more susceptible to terrorism? Especially considering, like, we're we're going to get into it in a second. But I just want to point out, I can name two Islamic, quote-unquote, terrorist events that occurred in Canada, which I think each of them killed one person. You know?
2: I, I can't think of any, honestly.
1: Well, there was the one at Parliament... The only other one I could vaguely remember is I think somebody hit another person with a car, and that person that they hit with the car was a soldier, and they did it because of, I think, the wars in Afghanistan or something like this. Again, I'm just spitballing here. Either way, it's happened so little in our fucking country that this is all I can think of, and I can tell you off the top of my head... Like even the attack in London that happened only a couple weeks ago is way more severe than any uh, Muslim-motivated attack that has occurred within Canada. Which is why this is so fucked up for him to think that by moving towards focusing on white supremacist groups, that somehow that leaves us more susceptible to Islamic terrorism. It's fucking ridiculous is what it is. And bigoted.
2: Yeah.
0: Let me give you an example. They want to establish... Dedicated prosecutorial units for prosecuting hate-motivated crimes. And what they mean by that is anyone who hates Islam. I have some friends who hate Islam. They're Muslim. Will they be prosecuted? Probably not.
2: (laughs) Considering he probably means, like, Tariq Fatah and, (laughs) like, I don't know.
1: No, it's probably Tariq. Uh,
2: Fucking Salim Mansour, like who else is big in those circles? Like he probably means like absolute dickheads that feed into white supremacy. So, yeah, maybe. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, like that's why I said, like I, I don't know, probably not. Like, I mean, it depends on what you mean by hate, hate Muslims. Like, like Salim Mansour and Tariq Fatah are special cases. Like they. <laughs> Some people can be critical of other people within their own religion. That doesn't make you, like, a bigot, you know?
0: Remove the requirement for Attorney General's consent. The Attorney General's consent is currently required to begin any prosecution for the willful promotion of hatred and genocide. This is a uniquely high bar that should be abolished. The same should go for any future freestanding provisions around hate-motivated crimes. I said that emotions should never be criminalized, but of course our criminal code does criminalize promoting hatred against an identifiable group. Now, I say again, I'm against promoting hateful hatred against an identifiable group. I don't like that in our criminal code. I think emotions should not be legislated. Actions should be. But at least that criminal code provision requires the attorney general to review the case and personally approve the prosecution.
1: I don't even know if I like this recommendation, uh, but uh, so I don't really care about Ezra's response either. <laughs> but his response is sort of silly, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. The potential introduction of a public interest-based defamation fund for Canadians who were smeared on the basis of hate. What? Defamation, I'm familiar with it because of course, uh, we give and we receive it here at Rebel News in the courts. Defamation is a civil suit where if there's someone who has said something really mean about you, you can hire a lawyer, go to court and protect your reputation. If you win, you'll get money. If you lose, you'll have to pay the other side. The NCCM obviously wants to go around hunting their enemies but they either don't think they can find a lawyer to do it on contingency, or they don't think they can crowdfund it, or they basically want you and me to pay lawyers to hunt down any of their enemies. I've never seen anything so bizarre in my life.
2: Fuck yeah. Let's give them money.
1: And it's it's funny because he's always crowdfunding his audience to help fight his fucking lawsuits all the time. Like, you do the same thing, but The only difference here is it's putting aside money... Generally. And part of this is, like, understand Like, most people can't throw around lawsuits like Ezra can. So wouldn't it be nice if someone is being the victim of someone who's throwing hate and vitriol at them and smearing them and defaming them, that at least there's money aside so people can, like, pursue them if if it's the more reasonable thing for them to do? And then there's a fund of money there available for them. This kind of makes sense to me.
2: I think it kind of relates to another one of uh, that earlier organization that i mentions recommendations which is like end the demonization and repression of palestine solidarity activism uh, and uphold expressive and academic freedoms where it's like if there has been a defamation based on like expressing pro-palestine sentiment or you know being a muslim in academia like having some sort of fund that is accessible so that they can like fight against that sort of shit would be really nice.
0: Until there is a coherent set of policies enshrined to prevent the profiling and mass surveillance of our communities, pause the mandated countering violent extremism programs at the federal level and require Public Safety Canada to develop out a new program in consultation with racialized communities for broader public safety. Boy, that's a lot of words saying, stop looking for terrorists. Just shut it all down until we can figure out what's up. Does that really promote Muslims? Does that really serve the interests of ordinary Muslims in the Canadian community? Or is that a very specific rocket fired at our counterterrorism police?
1: But like, of course he uses the language of rocket because he's, he's, and like, again, calling it stop looking for terrorists they're asking for evidence like nothing in what was recommended suggests and don't look for terrorists it's going if you're going to racially profile people maybe have evidence that it works
2: that's such a shitty like recommendation is no, like I know. oh you gotta make sure that your racial profiling is 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 working like what <laughs>
1: The idea is here is just like any profiling system that we do have, make sure that it works, even if it's not racially, uh, a racial profiling, you know? Yeah. But like I agree with you, I mean like part of it is like, I mean there is tons of evidence that any profiling system that we do use just rounds up a bunch of innocent people and makes their lives miserable. Like like are these things effective? Do, what's the cost benefit analysis here, right? Are we harming people's lives Mm -hmm. more than we're helping? And Ezra's just like, oh, they're just going to encourage terrorists to come in. Is it? Where's the evidence? Like, that's, that's the point, you know? And this is like Ezra, who's complained about people who have to be stopped at the border and stay at a hotel for COVID stuff. That is too much of an infringement on uh, people who travel outside of the country's rights. But he's okay with, like, harassing people entering the country who are not white.
0: Suspend the Canada Revenue Agency's Review and Analysis Division pending review of Canada's risk-based assessment model and its national strategy to combat extremism and radicalization. You wanna stop that? You wanna stop that? Do you see what I mean? Do you see why I'm worried that anti-Islamophobia isn't about stopping people from picking on Muslims? It's about stopping the government for protecting Canada either against terrorists or terrorist fundraising.
2: And the thing is, like what the CRA has been doing that is like they're quote-unquote randomly auditing charity organizations in Canada and they're doing it like three times more for Muslim charities in this quote-unquote random audit and then basically arbitrarily revoking their charity status because they're quote-unquote funding terrorism and like The comparison has been made is like, oh yeah, it's the same as like when Muslims get quote unquote randomly selected at airports for increased security checks and stuff like that. Like it's very, very blatant and obvious despite what the CRA is saying. And that's why they're demanding a like review on how this stuff works. And like a few places are calling for like a complete overhaul and like the International Civil Liberties Monitoring Group. Um, their recommendation was to put an end to the prejudiced and targeted audit- audits of Muslim charities under the guise of combating terrorism terrorist financing in the charitable sector. Current audits must be suspended. Current practices must be independently investigated. Policy and laws must be reformed. New directives must be put in place and remedies provided for targets of discriminatory audits. That shouldn't be controversial. Like, that's just, like, an easy thing to do.
1: But terrorism... Like that's that's all his res, that's all his responses are. Yeah. Which is like again, if you're overgeneralizing to the point that he is, you're a bigot. Like there's Yeah. It's amazing again, he started this whole thing where he's like, "I'm just being critical of Islam. I'm not being bigoted towards Muslims." I'm sorry if you think merely saying that maybe the government should be he- shouldn't be heavy-handed against people, over uh, charity organizations that usually go towards helping like children and stuff like this and denying them uh, charity status because you're afraid of any connection with Muslims being terroristic, then that's an issue with you. You're being the bigot.
0: Enhanced transparency between the CRA's charities directorate and charities audited under suspicion of terrorism financing and or radicalization. So they want the anti-terrorism police to have to share more with the terrorist link groups they're defunding. So it already assumes
1: that if you got denied charity status, it's because you're associating with terrorists and not because of some sort of like biased implementation of CRA policies.
2: Like he's not even making the like, oh, it's because you're connected to terrorists. It's because your charity are terrorists. Yeah. Like that's the connection he's making. Yeah, like, these,
1: these charities are terrorists, yeah.
2: If, if the CRA rejects your charity status, you are automatically a terrorist.
0: (laughs) It's amazing. Uh, Yeah. Provide anti-bias training and greater guidance to government officers and regularly assess whether their discretionary decisions are biased based on race or religious affiliation. They go on and on about the Canadian border guards, this whole section establish a new oversight body specifically for the Canadi- the CBSA, that's the Border Security Agency. The, if, if your focus is everyday life people who don't like Muslims, why are you having so many of your proposals focused on reining in the guys who are supposed to keep out foreign terrorists? What's that even got to do with the case of Canadian Muslims?
2: <laughs> what? <laughs> Canadian
1: Muslims, like, entering the country from visiting abroad are still going to be profiled at our border. Like, this distinction between Canadian foreign Muslims is so made up in what he's saying here. Like, this is going to affect everyone, including Canadians.
2: Well, you can tell the Canadian Muslims from the foreign Muslims because (laughs) the Canadian Muslims all have Canada flag pins and are wearing Canada flags as hijabs and, like, just, you know are all wrapped up in Canada gear, so you can tell that they're Canadian Muslims. And they never leave this country's borders, so there's no risk of, you know...
1: It's not even a Canada flag on the hijab. The hijab is a Canada flag. (laughs) It's just everything they're wearing. They're just wearing a full-body Canada flag.
2: Yeah, we're all, you know, a Muslim crosses the border, and we put on our Canada flags, and the shirts, and the, like... You know the hijabi version of the canadian tuxedo and like (laughs) but like the shitty olympic one that like has the canada flag on the back and then like god just what a fucking (laughs) stupid person
1: it's also like the making it harder to protect a country from terrorism and it's like it's a review (laughs) it's just a review you said it was a review like, just merely analyzing the question and going, are our policies working? <laughs> that itself makes it harder to protect our country from terrorism.
0: Media representation. Incentivize production of Muslim stories told by Canadian Muslims through
2: designated
0: funding in the Canada Media Fund, Telefilm, the National Film Board, and Provincial and Municipal Grants for Arts and Media.
2: I think I think they might have wanted it at like heritage minutes as well like i feel like they might have mentioned that specifically and i want them so oh bad. yeah
1: no that would be awesome no i think it might be also like funding of the arts generally like there could be like a whole bunch of stuff that they want funding for like muslim arts and stuff within the canadian context which again cool we fund lots of artistic adventures so if we put some aside to help uh muslim canadians express their stories like let's do it
2: Yeah, it is a bunch of that. It said the Ministry of Heritage. That's why I thought Heritage Minutes. Oh,
1: okay. (laughs) It would be amazing if they did Heritage Minutes, though.
2: Oh, my God. I want them back.
1: Yeah, for our non-Canadian viewers, we used to do this thing in our country where we would, uh, especially on, like, cable TV for, like, children's programming, they would have these things called Heritage Minutes during the commercials, which would, like, tell us a story about Canadian history. So one would be, like the guy who figured out that uh, certain areas of the brain that are related to strokes, uh, if you poke it, people smell smoke or something like this. And so in the commercial, you had the the brain surgeon working on the brain and then the woman's like, I smell burnt toast. And it was like...
2: (laughs) The basketball one? Because
1: apparently the guy who created basketball is Canadian. Yeah, Yeah, but do that. But for like Muslim Canadians, yeah, let's do it.
2: Literally, like, the only good thing that Canada has ever done is Heritage Minutes. Like, I don't know, just like having random one-minute documentaries <laughs> as commercials is like, yeah, there shouldn't be any other advertisements.
1: Yeah, just scrap all advertising just to have Heritage Minutes. But here's, here's Ezra's response to this.
0: Could you imagine if someone proposed doing that for, I don't know, Christian media? The government should give money to have Christian TV, radio, movies, arts—it's—it's incredible. But Trudeau says he's going to move forward with it. There's tons of Christian stories. Fucking (laughs) regular
2: heritage minutes. We're Christian.
1: (laughs) I know, like
2: the thing that we're just talking about.
1: Or it's just like how many Christians exist in our country and like have access to all this stuff and produce Christian content. Like we have a Christian fucking television channel. Like what? What? Like they don't need the funding because they have access. The whole point is creating spaces of access for people who aren't Christian.
2: Kim's convenience had a like very prominent Christian aspect to it. Like they went to church, their pastor was like a side character who showed up pretty often. Like it's all Christian all the way down.
0: Global Affairs Canada commits to challenging Islamophobia globally. You know, there's more than 30 countries that are Muslim majority. Uh, In fact, the the Organization for Islamic Cooperation has over 50 uh, countries. um, I'm sure there are cases of anti-Muslim bigotry in the world, but actually I think that it's a far more acute issue, the treatment of minorities within the Muslim world, including the treatment of Muslim minorities, such as the Ahmadiyya Muslims or the Ismaili Muslims, who are brutally... Uh, Treated by countries like Saudi Arabia Or Pakistan Um, And then of course the Christians In places like Egypt, Pakistan uh, Even in Muslim areas of Nigeria And in Syria, Iraq
2: Also like France And their whole Islamophobic deal Like They've just banned Or they've just like decided that they can ban and possibly deport um imams who say anything even like implying that islamophobia exists in france like they're trying to like completely ban wearing hijab like they're you know islamophobia is actually kind of not a uh, is, is, you know, it's is a bad thing and it's kind of widespread.
1: No, it's, it's, it's bad. I mean, like, and the thing is, is like, if you let it fester in other countries, it's going to come here. Like, there's a reason why Rebel News is connected with Tommy Robinson. Like, you know, Tommy Robinson, one of the preeminent uh, anti Islam bigots in uh, the UK. So it's like these things are yeah. connected, which is why it's, it's not just a local phenomenon. We need to fight it internationally as well.
2: Yeah. And it's such a minor ask.
1: (laughs) I know. I know. But it's like, again, and it's not to say that, like, yes, there's probably Christian persecution in the world. But it's like, again, what does it tell about your priorities when you're mad at, like, the the government, which is currently not fighting Islamophobia internationally, to at least go, maybe this is something we should consider. And then your response to that is like, well, what about the Christians? Like, that tells us something about your priorities here. Which is the whole point of having this summit in the first place. It's like, maybe your priorities are fucked up.
2: Yeah.
0: Provide direction to all agencies to cease the usage of biased and inherently fallacious sources produced by the Islamophobia industry. Now, I don't know what this Islamophobia industry is, but I can guess it's anything focused on the separation of mosque and state or on national security.
1: I mean, I do like this like weird of phrase, mosque and state, and it's almost like that's exactly what you're afraid of. You don't mind uh, uh, religion and state being in close proximity. You just don't want any Muslims in close proximity to the state. It's just like a... a you know, it's not a statement of secularism. It's a state of a statement of particular bigotry towards a particular religion that you don't want uh, in charge of your state. Which, again, not surprising. Every answer to every single one of these questions is just like, yeah, but I'm a bigot, and I don't want to do anything about Islamophobia.
2: <laughs> I'm just trying to find, like, what the, like, if they define the Islamophobia industry at all. I mean,
1: I will say, I think, you know, if I had to put my thumb on it, it's probably Ezra. Ezra is a big part of the Islamophobia yeah. industry.
2: I mean, and my guess is that they might not have specifically said anything because that's how Ezra starts suing you. Like
1: They don't want to be attacked, named, uh, by the people they named, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Legislative change to empower relevant registrars. To prevent white supremacist groups from registering as a society. The going on about white supremacism, I think they call anyone they don't like a white supremacist, even if they're a minority.
1: The NCCM probably doesn't have a podcast where they keep talking about people like we did in our uh, uh, Imperial Roundup segment where... Again, when they talked about Paul Frum, they didn't even mention the fact that he was a Nazi. They didn't even say his name. He was just some random nobody, even though he's a Nazi and donated money to Derek Sloan's campaign.
0: Review existing legislation and pass legislation that prohibits violent white supremacist rallies on provincial property while paying careful attention to ensure the legislation is not overbroad. and does not limit freedom to dissent. What? Uh, You know what? Maybe I missed it. Uh, Have you seen any violent white supremacist rallies in Canada in your life, I haven't, maybe I'm not paying enough attention. Uh, the thing about rallies is that anyone can have a rally unless they're violent. So white supremacists or not, if you're violent, shut her down. You don't need to pass a law for that, but it would be quite weird to pass a law saying certain ideologies are allowed and certain aren't. I think anyone who's violent should be shut down whether you're anti-Muslim or anti-Christian or anti-black or anti-white.
1: I mean, that's not totally true. Like, we've totally had Proud Boys rally in parks and, like, other hate groups have rallied in parks. And so, like, uh, I've seen them rally in parks. We've had them rally in Victoria Park locally. They're not provincial parks, but they're city parks. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. These things exist. Just because Ezra likes to pretend like he doesn't know that they exist, they exist
0: extend limitations periods for human rights complaints to five years to take into account the trauma victims face while allowing a claimant to seek an extension to the limitation period if the claimant has extenuating circumstances reasonably demonstrating why they were unable to file a formal human rights complaint within the five year limitation period. So if you hire someone or have dealings with someone and then you say goodbye, five years later, they can come back to you with a human rights complaint, a typical lawsuit has to be filed within two years. They're just trying to whip up grievances.
1: Again, total re- totally reasonable mm. ask, and his response is just, why are they whiny? And the last thing is they want more polls to study the extent of racism in this country. And Ezra doesn't really comment on that one. This, this He goes into his like end monologue about this whole list, and he basically ends by saying...
0: Like I say, these rules would be more at home in a place like Pakistan or Iran than in a place like Canada. And for Trudeau to say he's going to move forward on these, I find this distressing.
1: Which, again, I thought these recommendations were pretty uh, moderate, (laughs) pretty liberal. And uh, I don't know how, I mean, he clearly chose Pakistan because he wants to associate it with some sort of Islamic regime.
2: I mean, like one, Pakistan, I think Islam is like the national religion, but it's not like... Like, I don't think an Islamist party is in power. I don't think, like, it's just, like, you know? Like, it's not a Saudi-type place where it is, like, strictly linked between, like, institution, like, religion and, like, state institutions are, like, one and the same. Also, I don't think Islamophobia is that big of an issue (laughs) in Pakistan. (laughs) Like... (laughs) <laughs> not something that they super need to focus on is systemic Islamophobia and the like mass killings of Muslims by white supremacists.
1: Well, my my reason for thinking he chose Pakistan is because, I mean, that's where Osama bin Laden was. It's this notion in their heads that Pakistani harbors a lot of terrorists. And so it's this is this basic conception that somehow these recommendations that we just went through, which, again, were summaries, so they're not even the full extent of what the NCCM was actually, like, like, recommending, but, I mean, his own interpolation of them were pretty moderate. Like, these were pretty moderate reforms. But Ezra Mm -hmm. wants to think that these moderate reforms are basically, like, a promotion of terrorism. And so, therefore, we're going to turn into Pakistan- which harbors terrorists i guess is the connection he's making here
2: just fuck off dude
1: yeah fuck off this is absurd as hell you're like it's it's amazing to me because he's he starts it off like i'm not a bigot and the whole segment was like but
2: <laughs> yeah it was a very long and yeah. extended <laughs> but <laughs>
1: and like i realized like a lot of this was redundant i think it was productive this is obviously going to be a longer episode but There's an extent to which, like, he really wants to play himself off as not being an Islamophobic bigot, that he had nothing to do with the uh, rise of hatred in this thing. And here's the thing is, I'm not saying that any particular killer was inspired by Ezra, but Rebel News and the shit that he spews contributes to a culture which is Islamophobic. And it's particularly what these kinds of legislations would help to protect us against, is people like Ezra spewing this bullshit. So of course he's going to hate it, and of course the way he hates it is by being an Islamophobic bigot, <laughs> which is the only way he knows how to like, combat this shit.
2: Gaza Initiative is still looking for money. They're at uh, eighteen and a half thousand, uh, funded out of the twenty-five thousand Canadian that they're looking for um, to build uh, to help to rebuild the damaged medical equipment after Israel's latest assault on Gaza, in which they destroyed a number of hospitals and a even larger number of like health clinics and medical equipment in general. And especially as Gaza is unable to import medical equipment under the terms of the Israeli blockade that has been ongoing for 15 years now, they're kind of in desperate need of upgraded and repaired uh, medical infrastructure. So uh, the Open Gaza initiative is run by a doctor, uh, Tarek Lubani, who is in actually based in Lajon, Ontario, where we live. And he... Is working with like a team of engineers and stuff like that to work on like three D printed and other uh, sort of easy to build and repair uh, medical equipment, and this allows the like designing and the like implementation to be done internationally, and then the finished designs can basically be sent to um, engineers and doctors in Gaza to then like begin the actual repairs and rebuilding. Uh, so it's like a really cool international initiative. They're pretty close to their funding goals, so if you have spare funds, uh, please send it their way. It's a really, like, amazing work that Dr. Lubani does. And then I have one of my, like, all-time favorite go-to articles as well, um, which is the Rez and the Reds, How Communists Fail Indigenous Nations. Which is a particular critique of how a lot of more statist uh, communist organizations think about how decolonization might work or the establishment of a like socialist state on the territory of Turtle Island, and is basically a critique of there are those groups, particularly like Marxist Leninists. Um, thoughts of, like, founding a worker's state on stolen land, <laughs> and how that won't contribute to any sort of, like, actual decolonization or equality on the land. Um, it particularly, I think, goes into the the U.S. party um, PSL, the Party for Socialism and Liberation, and their, kind of, like, conceptualization of decolonization, which... I think only gives Puerto Rico, Samoa, Guam, Virgin Islands, and Marina Islands the right to self-determination. and basically is just like, oh yeah, maybe we'll like expand reserves on the actual continent of Turtle Island. And I don't think it even talks about like giving Hawaii independence, which is just like a ridiculous thing for a supposedly like liberatory party. And I think it applies very well to kind of like every communist, socialist, social democratic organization based in North America. Like, I've seen it in my own interactions with the Communist Party of Canada, for example, where they don't have any actual clear ideas on anything. And you can see it especially in provinces where like the NDP has taken power in Canada where things don't improve for indigenous people just because a party that is less explicitly evil gets into power they're still perfectly willing to work with resource extraction companies and you know pretty much anybody else that makes money to further displace and marginalize indigenous people's on this continent um but it's absolutely worth a read really really good article i think about it kind of all the time
1: yeah i know with uh, some local communist orgs I mean, or even just the communist party in canada uh i don't even think they acknowledge colonialism as a thing or or they're very weird about it in the sense that it's like you know once you achieve the communist state, colonialism is just magically not a problem, or you know, like or something like that. Like they just yeah. kind of ignore it. But it's like, no, this is stuff we really need to uh, work on and uh, and uh, listen to indigenous voices and what they have to say.
2: Yeah, I think the justification at the last like party thing that the Communist Party of Canada did was that Canada is not a colonial country because Lenin said that we're in imperialism now and it's like okay so you haven't like adjusted your ways of thinking in a literal century
1: I will say too if anyone is interested in like even some of the articles that Vienna was recommending here we started on our Monday night streams which started 8pm Eastern Standard Time uh, doing more lefty content and in fact last uh, this past Monday we read one of the articles that viano had recommended on a previous segment the we are all of us machines which was written in uh homintern
2: and so homintern.soy yeah
1: (laughs) so if these are things that interest you uh feel free to join us on our twitch streams at 8 p.m on mondays and join the chat and and have a good time so uh yeah that's all i wanted to say Maybe we would select one of these articles going forward too. We haven't fully fleshed out this segment, but uh, it is happening.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And it's been fun.
1: And if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperialnews. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperialnews with a Z. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up, and we'll be doing Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find all the links to our social media stuff in the show notes. Lastly, you can email us any question at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. I will, again, uh, encourage people to go subscribe to us on YouTube, but I'm not going to say that subscriptions are free because Vienna will get mad at me. Special (laughs) thanks to my friend Mr. Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striatum.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And people who interview other human beings on the street in what they call streeter interviews, those are now canceled officially. I don't want to see any more streeter interviews. Unless you're asking people very trivial stuff like, what do you like to eat for lunch? Those are okay. But don't ask them like medical advice, <laughs> please. <laughs> Could you tell me about quantum physics, random I just met on the street?
2: Hey, can you, uh you know... Give me some surgery right now. Uh, <laughs> I got something in my chest that I really need out. Can you just like take this scalpel and do this real quick? Well, okay.
1: Since you asked.
2: Actually, a street surgery segment would be really funny. <laughs>
1: David Menzies getting street
2: surgery is what I I need. Yeah. Albumbia,
0: Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.